notice this morning, though, that a couple guys have their Rip City colors today? Well, I was just going to say, as open as we are, we're, we're ecumenical, we're inclusive, we love everyone, but we may have to make a new rule that all Golden State Warriors fans have to leave. I'm sorry. We can't. That's just, uh, you know, I mean, you, you, there, we, we, Stephen Brown? Oh, my gosh. Jesus loves almost everyone. No, I'm old. That was just a joke. He loves Golden State Warriors fans. We love Golden State Warriors fans. We have a good-natured rivalry going on here in our midst. Hey, <clears throat> my apologies. I am just, I've had a cold all week. So if I cough and hack on you, pray. Uh, uh we that the, the uh, church picnic we announced today. It's a month out, but we wanted to give you plenty of time to think about it. Uh, I just, man, it's a family time to be together. Sometimes Sunday morning, you know, it's busy. There's a lot going on. We don't really have time to just hang out and talk. So I just would hope everybody could be there that day. Uh, we have reserved the picnic shelter, which is in the very back of Cook Park, if you've if you've never been there, and it's right on the Tualatin River. So it's really fun for the kids. You can feed ducks can actually feed ducks. Um, well, and, and you can, uh, well, there's a lot of activities. Uh, we're th- Donna and I might bring our kayaks down so we can take, uh, we can give the kids kayak rides. I don't know. Just, it's a great day, June 5th, right after church, be there. So we're continuing this morning. For those of you that have not been around, we're doing a series called Blessed Revolution. Look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And I want to just begin this morning by reading our text for today which is verses 5 and 6, the next two, two of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen. Father, thank you. Uh, Your word is rich and full, and help us to receive it and embrace it and grow in it and learn from it today. Amen. I think, I hope, uh, we're a couple weeks into this series by now, that it's one thing that I'm hoping is becoming clear is that how Jesus describes blessing or being blessed is maybe a, a little bit different than, than how uh, we may have perceived that in the past. You know, last week I said I've never had in 40 years anybody come to me and say, I'm so blessed because I'm poor in spirit. And I think the same is true today. I've never heard anyone say, um, God has blessed me with meekness. Uh, so, so I think, again, Jesus' description of what it means to be blessed might be different than we normally think. I, I want to uh, spend the majority of our time this morning really talking about uh, what it means and what it looks like to be meek. Also to hunger and thirst for righteousness, but really uh, focusing more on, on what it means to be meek. And I want to do that in a couple ways. One thing is, is I want to give us a, a biblical definition of that. But I also want to contrast with that maybe some cultural norms that sometimes in the church we sort of embrace things in the culture and adopt them into our culture. Do you know what I'm talking about? They, be, they're, 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 they become part of who we are because it just seems like that's the normal thing. And I think this is one of those times. So we'll, so, uh, we'll do that. I, I want to begin with um, 
looking at what it means to be meek. And we'll do that first by uh, doing one of our very favorite segments here. Yes, that's right. It's time to break for grief. You knew it. Somebody called it. Um, the Greek word translated as meek here uh, is praus is the adjective form that's here. Other, several other verses, that same Greek word is translated as gentle. Meek and gentle, very related. I want to look at the definition. This difficult to translate root, pra, means more than meek. Biblical meekness is not weakness, but rather refers to exercising God's strength under his control. Let me read that again. But rather refers to exercising God's strength under his control, demonstrating power without undue harshness. Uh, the English term meek often lacks this blend of gentleness or reserve and strength. Um, so, again, the Greek word here is an adjective form. It's a descriptive word, and the translation meek to us sometimes kind of comes across as being sort of um, uh, weak or, or kind of timid. You know, you think of a meek person. You think of someone who's a, a little bit afraid, possibly. Uh, but it really doesn't mean that at all. It's, it's really very much, and, and again, we've talked a lot about our identity in Christ here. This word is very tied to, very, very connected to our, our identity in Jesus the understanding that our confidence, our authority, our power is, is all in him. Uh, when we know that, see, sometimes culturally we have to prove that we're in charge. We have to prove that we're bigger than you, that, that I can beat you up, that, that my, you know, I have the authority here. When, when, I, when I'm confident in my identity in Christ, I don't have to prove anything because I know that that's what matters. I'm in him, and so I don't have to exert power in, in uh, you know, th those kind of ways over you, it really is, it's, it's very compassionate, it's very compassionate, it's, it's very self-controlled, uh, another fruit of the Spirit, it's power under control. As always, uh, you know, when we talk about characteristics of a disciple, what it means to follow Jesus, uh, Jesus is our example, right? What does that look like? How does that work? Uh, well, it looks like Jesus. Um, anybody ever seen that painting before? I think it's down here in the hallway. Uh, but in the 70s, 60s, 70s, I don't know, that, that exact painting was on the, on the walls of, I think, pretty much every church in America, right? And, uh, you know, it's like gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I call that surfer Jesus. <laughs> that looks to me exactly like some guys I knew that hung around in Huntington Beach in the 70s. Jesus has brown hair, but it's kind of bleached out from the sun and the, and, the, and the sand a little bit. It's kind of blondish. And I swear to you, this is the gospel truth. If you blow that picture up really big, you'll notice that Jesus has blue eyes. Um, I'm just saying. I don't think that's accurate. But the point of that picture is that he looks uh, so meek. He's just so gentle and kind. And, and so you don't see that picture around as much on church walls anymore. Maybe it's a little dated. But I, I think also our, our culture has sort of progressed and morphed a little bit. And we have a hard time with that Jesus. 
We're not really comfortable with gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We want a, we want a more powerful Jesus. We, we want a more dominant Jesus. Um, I, I, I think that our culture lacks a value uh, for understanding meekness as a true virtue. We don't see being meek as a virtue. We see it as, as, as really a liability. Uh, it's not a desirable quality. Um, so what we've done is oftentimes, I think, project onto Jesus kind of an Americanized version of this independent sort of tough guy, macho Jesus. Um, I'm going to share a quote with you. This is a quote from a guy who is a very, very well-known uh, pastor and author, very large church here in the, in the United States. This was just a few years ago. Uh, best-selling author. Uh, he says this, Some emergent types want to recast Jesus as a limp-wrist hippie in a dress with a lot of product in his hair who drank decaf and made pithy Zen statements about his life while shopping for the perfect pair of shoes. In Revelations, uh, that little SIC there, that means that I'm quoting him as he said this and that I'm aware that Revelations isn't a word. Uh, The book is Revelation, but the guy's a pastor. He should know that. Jesus is a prize fighter with a tattoo down his leg, a sword in his hand, and a commitment to make someone bleed. This is a guy I can worship. I cannot worship the hippie diaper halo Christ because I cannot worship a guy I can beat up. Amen. Uh, Let me say this. I'm not going to touch that on a theological basis because it would be way too much fun, and I don't think theology should be that much fun. No. No. I would, it would take me all day. I would love to just dissect that theologically. Um, but I will say this, that that is, to me, uh, a gross distortion of the biblical picture of Jesus as a compassionate, loving, sacrificial, meek person. And I think it's a projection of uh, an Americanized, macho, dominant Jesus that this guy thinks we should have. Uh I'm going to bet right now, you put him in the ring with Jesus, I'll pick Jesus every day, all day, a hundred times. Um, my friend, <laughs> not my friend, personal friend, I'm gonna say, I'll quote John Stott. I think John Stott, I, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, his commentary on Sermon on the Mount, which is just so good. Uh, Stott has a different perspective. And, and I think he's right. He says, although we rightly recoil from the image of our Lord as gentle Jesus, meek and mild, because it conjures up a picture of him as weak and effeminate, yet he describes himself as gentle, proud, same Greek word, and lowly in heart. And Paul referred to his meekness and gentleness. And I've given you the text there. Jesus in Matthew says, I am gentle and humble in heart. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ. And so again, I think this indicates to me a lack of understanding of what true meekness is and what it looks like. And I think that sometimes we have adopted sort of that mindset into the church. Um, Let's just, history has been kind of dominated by largely, and, and again, I think this is part of what makes Jesus so unique, is that history has been dominated by kind of angry alpha male types. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so we've, we've just taken that and ad- adapted that in the church. 
people who, are, who exercise their power by being domineering, who are aggressive, who are bullies. Um, and, and I don't think we've been exempt from that in the church. Uh, one of the most famous uh, sermons of all time was a sermon by Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I will not subject you to the entire sermon because uh, it would just be sad, but uh, uh, you'd get saved, I'm sure. I'll just give you a little, I'm going to give you a little, just a little bit, a little little bit today. Jonathan Edwards, and again, I mean, the guy, he was an evangelist, he, 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 great move of God, um, the bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart. Uh, uh, strains the bow. There's nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow from one moment being made drunk with your blood. The God that holds you over the pit of hell much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. Man! Uh... You know, I was thinking about it. I th- you know, there's programs in schools today to, to, to uh, you know, op- to try to stop bullying in school. I mean, we need a program to stop bullying in the church. No more, no more bully pastors. Um, Edwards was a couple hundred years ago, but again, I think he has counterparts today. We read one. Uh, I just don't think many of us realize the degree to which that sort of mindset has infiltrated our thinking as Christians. I don't think we, we understand how we have allowed anger to become a part of who we are, uh, and, and I'm not sure that we realize how directly opposed that is, that sort of angry mindset, to what it really looks like to be a disciple of Christ. All right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not power. Power isn't the goal. Righteousness is the goal. What, remember we talked about, what does righteousness mean? It's to be in right relationship with God. We hunger and thirst for a right relationship with God, not power. Uh, our job as disciples of Christ, our job in the church today, our calling is not to tell everyone else how they're supposed to behave. Our job is to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness in our own lives. Can I say this? Righteousness starts right here. It starts right here. It starts with me. I I need to get my life right. We need to get our lives right. I think then we have an opportunity to present Christ to those around us. Um, I don't think we do that by bullying them into the kingdom of God. Sometimes, just a little bit, I think we try to justify our anger. We try to justify our anger, and we fail to re- realize that it's actually, uh, it's really in direct conflict with how Jesus has instructed us to live. Um, anger hurts people. Anybody ever been hurt by anger? 
angry words, angry actions. I'm going to pray for you today. I, I think God wants to lift some of that off of us. Um, you know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter, chapter 5, the same chapter we're reading from today, Jesus talks about anger and he compares it to murder. You've heard it said that, uh, to people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. He compares it to murder. It's kind of like murder in a way, isn't it? It's, it can be an assassination of character. It can also be a kind of a soul death. Some of you have experienced that where uh, that expression of anger directed towards you causes you to just kind of crumble and die inside even though you're still alive. And it's really not the way that Jesus uh, intends for us to walk out our relationship with him and one another. We are to be gentle or meek, not angry. And I just wanted to give you uh, a few examples of that from the New Testament. To To the Ephesians, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And to the Colossians, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, if you're God's people... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Uh, To Timothy, he says, But you, young man, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then Peter says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Peter's talking about sharing our faith with other people. Be prepared. But how do we do that? With gentleness and respect. Um, So again, anger is diametrically opposed to gentleness. It's a different approach. It's a different way of dealing with people. I have a prophetic word. Here, Here it is. So, so, some of you right now are actually thinking about Scripture that you think justifies anger. Uh, you're thinking, well, what about this? What about that? You're, you're thinking there's, there is an appropriate context for anger, and you're thinking that God was at times angry. And here's what I would say. Uh, I, 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 uh, I'm going to address those issues in a few minutes, and be prepared, because I'm going to rock your boat a little. Um, just saying. Um, Gentleness and meekness is not very often celebrated as a virtue in our culture. We don't hear about uh, what a great person someone is very often. I mean, it does happen because of their meekness. Um, Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. Let me me ask you a question. I want to kind of Today, this might be a little different, but historically, what are wars fought over? Land. Wars are fought over land, right? The meek will inherit the earth. Can I say this? I believe that meekness and gentleness will expand the kingdom of God. That with meekness and gentleness, we take territory for God's kingdom. Paul says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. We don't think of being meek and gentle as a weapon of warfare. But I believe that meekness will actually expand the territory of God's kingdom into the hearts and lives of other people. That we defeat the enemy actually by being humble, gentle, meek, and kind towards other people. 
on a, uh, let's, uh, you know, as long as we're going to do it, let's do it right. Uh, we're going to break for Greek one more time. <laughs> my, <laughs> my, my little Greek friends are just, uh, there, there are, um, I think this is important. There, there are three words, uh, Greek words in the New Testament that describe anger. We looked at what the description of meek. Now I want to look at the opposite uh, and the description of anger. The first one is thumos, which is complete rage, unrestricted fury, and it is the emotion of Satan. And the text that we can look at to see that is in Revelation. Forgive me. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with thumos fury, because he knows that his time is short. Uh, note, note at the bottom there, always bad. So the emotion of Satan, we don't want that, right? We don't want, we don't want to be like him, right? That's bad. No. Uh, second word is agonicteo, and it is a combination of two words that mean much grief. This is really, 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 really good right here. Uh, it's to be opposed to the point of pain yourself. I'm opposed to something to the point of pain inside of me, not wanting to cause someone else pain. And it's often translated into English as the word indignation. This is a very, very misunderstood and uh, uh, interesting word. Here's where I think we sometimes make room for importing anger into our Christian experience. Uh, how many of you ever heard the term righteous indignation? Yeah. We, uh, it's, uh, we, we can't be angry. It's not right to be angry unless it's righteous indignation. If I have righteous indignation, it's okay. But what righteous indignation really means is that I'm so grieved that my heart is broken. I feel the weight of the pain of the injustice that I've seen. The verse here that we can look at where that, that word is used is in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. And it, it's good. What it's produced is good. He says, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation. So it's sorrow, godly sorrow, not anger. What alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Righteous indignation is, is a broken heart over injustice. It's not anger. Years and years and years and years ago, uh, in another galaxy far, far away, uh, Donna and I, uh, kids were still at home and they were little, and we had a young girl named Nanette living with us. And I was at church one night, you know, some something, some meeting, probably youth meeting. Um, and I came home, the kids were in bed, and Donna and Nanette were uh, watching TV, and the news was just coming on. And, and so I came in and sat down on the couch with them, and we were watching the news. Uh, and this story came on. And I can't remember exactly the details of it, but it was about a woman who had locked a little girl in the trunk of her car while she went shopping. And I can't remember if the girl lived or, or didn't live, 
But what I remember is this, as I was watching the news, and, and I'm, I'm only sharing this to say, this was not me. This, this is the Holy Spirit at that moment. Because we see stories like this in the news all the time. I see stories like this in the news all the time, and I go, that's bad. Um, but on this particular occasion, I started to cry. And within a few minutes, I, I, was, I was sobbing, and I was sobbing uncontrollably, and I couldn't stop crying. I didn't know these people. I'd never met them. I don't even think they were in my state. But I, I was just, this thing came over me, and my heart was completely broken, not only just for that situation, but just over that, that, that whole thing in our culture. And I, was just, I, was just, I just couldn't stop until both the girls were just praying for me and interceding for me because this thing couldn't, I, I couldn't break free of it for a while. And I, I think that's righteous indignation. When our hearts are so moved with compassion over the brokenness of culture, it's, it's not necessarily anger. And so again, I'm, I'm looking at how does anger fit in the life of a disciple, and I think indignation is different than anger. Are you following me? Third Greek word is uh, orge, not orgy, orge. It's anger or wrath. Now, you remember the first word, thumos, was the domain of Satan. This is the domain of God. Uh, Romans 2.5, Paul uses this word. He says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourselves to the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So let me say this. That's God's job, not ours. That's, this anger is dealing primarily with an issue of judgment and that's God's territory. It's not our territory. God's the judge. We're not the judge. We don't judge one another. Um, that's not for you or me. That's for God. We don't want to take on the attitude of Satan, but we really don't want to take on God's place in life either. So again, thinking about how does anger fit into the life of a disciple, if you look at these three words, thumos is the domain of Satan. No, we don't want that. Agonicteo is really grief or indignation. It's not anger, and, and it is an acceptable emotion for us. And then orge is the domain of God dealing with judgment, not ours. So again here, I, I think the reality is um, anger isn't something that we should, that we should say it is, a, it is a goal or a part of our life in Christ. As disciples of Christ, we should be like, Jesus and say, no, we don't want that as part of who we are. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. He really means blessed are the meek. He doesn't mean blessed are the angry. How does that affect us? And let, let me say this. Do you remember last week we talked about Adam and Eve in, in the garden and at the fall, that being a declaration of independence, they were declaring their independence from God. Really, we're right back there again here. Because when we allow those worldly attitudes to become part of our expression of discipleship in Christ, what we're really doing is we're rebelling against God's transformational power. God's, God has the ability to transform us and change us from who we are in our flesh to who we are in our spirit in Him. Um, and at the same time, we're not embracing His meekness and gentleness in, in our own lives. Uh, we're projecting emotions that are, are, are really inappropriate, and they're not designed for us, and they won't bear fruit. They're, they're not going to bear fruit. Um, sometimes, 
the church embraces things that God prohibits. Sometimes the church embraces things God prohibits. Um, and we see it. We, there's, there, there's still angry preachers out there today. You know, I hear them now and then. Um, we create little loopholes in the system. I've heard this one before. Sometimes somebody will say, you know, you say, man, that sounds angry. They go, no, I'm just passionate. I go, no, that's not passionate. That's angry. Uh, passion is in anger. They're two different things. Um, Paul, pa- Paul is a guy who writes a lot of lists. You ever notice that? He's big on lists. He, he writes lists of things that we shouldn't embrace and take on in our lives. Um, in Ephesians, again, get rid of, we looked at the good things a minute ago, get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Colossians, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. To Timothy, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. And then, of course, our old friend James Because, I love this, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James sums it up. Boom. Um, Meekness is the opposite of anger. Meekness is power and authority of God submitted to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So we exercise our power and authority in Christ in a very different way. I know, um, here, here, again, I, I was joking a little while ago when I said I had a prophetic word, and some of you were thinking of verses. Uh, I didn't really have a prophetic word. I, I just was playing with you that you were thinking about that, in case you didn't know. But some of you are thinking about, but don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? Um, we'll, we'll get to that in one more minute. Can I say this? The good news, the gospel, part of it, not all of it, but part of the gospel is an invitation to join our family, right? We have a wonderful family that we love being a part of, and and we would love you to come be a part of our family too. Who wants to join an angry family? I think most people are trying to get out of angry families, right? I'd like to trade my family in for another family. Um, This shouldn't be an angry family. So, again, I'm going to, I'm working at this a little bit in reverse, but I want to I give you four thoughts, four ideas, four things that will help us as disciples of Christ to displace anger in our lives and at the same time cultivate meekness, okay? Now, this is not a formula, all right? It's not a formula. These are not four magic steps. What these are are disciplines that we can adopt that will help us grow and cultivate meekness and at the same time displace anger that might be part of our lives just through culture that we live in. So the first one is be slow to anger. Again, our friend James. Be slow to anger. Brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, when you start feeling yourself getting upset and angry, it's good just to back off, just to remove yourself from the situation. Uh, I have learned, this is, I'll tell you, you know, this has been a process for me. I, I, I have done things in the past that I'm not proud of where I really just, 
And I've learned, if I'm feeling that, you know, I, I should not respond to somebody right now. I should go away and get, get as far away as I can for a little while. Think about it. And then chances are good, I'm going to come back and have a really good conversation. But if I, if I respond right now, it probably won't be good. Let me just say this. Anger is not going to accomplish what you want it to. Okay? Second little uh, discipline we can develop. Be quick to get rid of anger. Here we go. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. Paul says in Ephesians, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So I've heard this verse used to mean it's okay if I'm angry as long as I don't be angry tomorrow. I can be angry today, but i got to get over it by the end of the day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying two things. One, anger's a sin. Get rid of it as quick as you can. Make it go away. Don't let the sun go. You say, today, right now, get rid of it. Don't keep it. Get rid of it. Um, that's what he's saying here. This is not justification for being angry. It's really an exhortation to get rid of your anger as fast as you can. Why is that important? It gives the devil a foothold. That's bad. Okay? Don't let the devil get in. Uh, what's that? There's an old song, but I can't think of it, and I won't sing because I've already been in trouble for singing today. Um, number three, let's move on. Uh, let love be your motivation, okay? Here's the thing. Let me say this. You see an injustice. You see something that shouldn't be, right? And you get angry about it. <clears throat> who are you angry at? Are you, at you, are you angry at the person who's just suffered the injustice? No, you're angry at the person who perpetrated the injustice, Right? And you say, you think, I want to kill that dirty rat person. And uh, so, look, our focus at that point is on the bad guy. I'm going to make a suggestion. It's just a thought. What if, what if we decide that I'm going to let God or the police take care of the bad guy, and I'm going to put my attention on the person who's been hurt? I'm going to shift my focus to this person who, who has, been, has suffered an injustice, and, and I am going to, with compassion and mercy and grace and true indignation, love them. I don't know. It's just a thought. It's a different approach. This is, I would say this, this, though, I believe, is, is a response that the Bible encourages us to do in Romans. Paul says, when someone's happy... We rejoice with them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If someone's hurting, they're mourning. We come and we mourn with them. You know, I'll just, guys, sometimes, you, you know, I, uh, we know this. You get it, right? But you don't know what to say. Somebody's going through a hard time. You don't know what to say to them. That's okay. Don't say anything. Just go be with them. Just be their friend. Just hang out. Just be there. That's all you got to do. You don't have to have answers. Sometimes people don't want answers. They don't need answers. They just need somebody to hang out. Uh, finally, last thing. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Woo-woo! Um, thank you. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, hello, gentleness, and self-control. Um, okay, let me talk about this. Don't give the devil a foothold, right? What does that mean? A foothold is, a, is place. It's room in our life, right? I'm giving the devil a spot. It's sort of like I, I'm, I'm renting him a room in my house, okay? So yeah, things are pretty good right now. I mean, I got Satan living in the back bedroom, 
Um, that's not good. We don't want that. So here's the thing. If you're filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit fills you up, right? There's, there's no room. There's no empty rooms. There's no place for Satan to be. So we fill with the Spirit, and Satan has to leave. He's not there anymore. Uh, I just think that's a better plan. I just think that's a better way to really uh, express what it means and looks like to follow Christ. I really believe it's a way, you know, our hearts always to share who Jesus is with people that need him around us, whether it's our coworkers, students, neighbors, friends. What, what a great thing to, 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 to live life that's completely different than the life they see in the world. If we want to be like Jesus. We say we do. We sing about it. Uh, Jesus knew how to suffer well. Jesus uh, loved, you know, and forgave people who hated him. Uh, Jesus served others rather than waiting to be served by them. Jesus uh, shunned the power of popularity. He could have taken that on, but he didn't. He shunned that. Instead, he embraced a life of gentleness, um, uh, even when he was misunderstood. People didn't understand him. He st- uh, you know, I'm still going to be who I'm going to be. That's who I am. Um, and and he, he prayed for his enemies, not against them. I hear people say, you know, pray, pray these prayers against them. I go, ah, no, no, no. Pray for those people. Don't pray against them. Pray for them. I think that's, uh, th- that's really taking on the heart of Christ. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Expand the kingdom through meekness and gentleness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. But stand and call it good because we're out of time.